Welcome to The Reality Revolution. I'm your host, Brian Scott. Today we're going to read some Orison Sweat Martin. We've covered a dozen different chapters and lectures from Orison Sweat Martin. He was an amazing, inspiring New Thought teacher that taught about affirmations to prosperity. Today, we're going to cover antidotes to thought poisoning. In an amazing book, The Miracle of Right Thought, Orson Sweat Martin has a chapter on mental self-thought poisoning. I see so many people that have poisonous thoughts, and you can see the results in what is happening in their lives. And there are antidotes to this. And if you listen through this chapter, it'll give you some ideas to overcome certain negative thought patterns you might have in your life. The antidote to thought poisoning. Every thought or emotion vibrates through every cell in the body and leaves an influence like itself. The coming man will find it as easy to counteract an unfriendly, disagreeable thought by turning on the counterthought, which will antidote or neutralize it, as it is to rob the hot water of its burning power by turning on the cold water faucet. The hatred thought cannot live an instant in the presence of the love thought. He who hates is an assassin, and he is also a suicide. Right thinking pays large dividends. One of the most unfortunate convictions that ever entered the human brain is the idea which multitudes of people have that on account of the weaknesses and disease tendencies inherited from those who have broken health laws for centuries back of them, they are not supposed to have a perfect body or good health. It is a wonder that the bodily organs and functions work as well as they do and that there is any such thing as real health with such a cramping, crippling thought for the body is but a mass of billions of cells so closely tied together and interrelated that they are instantly affected by every vicious thought, mood, or unfortunate conviction. The normal law of our lives is wholeness, discord of any kind, ill health, disease, weakness, is abnormal, foreign to our real selves, to the truth of our being. New thought builds new cells, life cells, youth cells in the body, just as the old style of thinking, the worry thought, the aging thought, the discordant thought builds cells which correspond. The time will come when we shall listen to the cry of the cells suffering from disease and discord, just as we now listen to the cry of a child and shall antidote the discord with the soothing, healing thought balm. We shall speak harmony, peace, health to the discordant cells until the disease is neutralized and harmony reigns. Multitudes of people are in worse bondage today than were the African slaves before the war. Their masters are such things as a drought of cold air, wet feet, anything that is fried, all sorts of superstitions which they fear as much as the slave ever feared his master. If such people want to go on a journey to write a book, to plead a case at the bar, to sing, to paint, they must first consult their body, and if it says no, they quit. If it says it is tired or weary or sick, no matter what duty or the great life purpose may say, they must wait until the body is good and ready. 
But the time will come when we shall be ashamed to refer to our ailments, our physical weaknesses, because it will be regarded as an evidence that at least in thought we have sinned. An evidence that we have been holding unkind, unjust, vicious thoughts towards others. Thoughts of revenge or hatred, a desire to get square for some fancied injury. An evidence that we have been selfish, jealous, or that we have been dishonest have been taking unfair advantage of others in some way, or that through fear or worry or some other form of mental discord, we have been the victims of self-thought poisoning. It will be considered evidence that we are not living properly, that we are breaking some of nature's laws, or that our ancestors have done so, evidence that our body has been poisoned by vicious or impure thoughts, that we have in some way lost control of ourselves. To be healthy, happy, and successful we must be good. There is no other road to true happiness and real prosperity. In the phonograph records of some of our great singers, the slightest error, a note a little too sharp or flat, is faithfully reproduced. In just the same way, every mistake, every sidestep from virtue, every slip, every blunder we make in life is faithfully recorded in our cell phonograph. The phonograph will only say the words that are on the record. You will have to make a record which has on it the words, the sentiment you want the machine to repeat. Your poor health today is but the expression of bad or vicious living phonograph records recorded in your mind somewhere in the past or in those who have gone before you. These records are scientifically accurate and once made they are certain to be faithfully reproduced. Few people realize that they are constantly running thoughts through their minds and indulging in emotions and passions which are disease producers. Every evil feeling towards another is a little disease producer. Every discordant thought, feeling, or emotion must pay the penalty in the physical manifestation of some discord. When we are sufficiently tired of expressing disease and physical discords generally, we shall be careful only to record that which we wish to express, harmony, health, truth, and beauty. Since we know that whatever we hold in the mental attitude will be reproduced in the body, how comparatively easy and scientific character building and man building should become. This is especially true as we know that even thoughts, ideals, sentiments, and emotions which are only mechanically assumed are still the pattern for reproduction and become faithfully outpictured in the life. Whatever we think about a great deal, we tend to become like. If we keep the mind concentrated upon divine things, upon spiritual qualities, we not only tend to become spiritually minded, but the quality also is outpictured in our face and manner. How easily we can pick out of a crowd the clergyman, or one in whom the dominant thought has dwelt long upon sacred things. By the constant picturing of divine qualities, holy things, wholeness, completeness, perfection of character, they become outpictured in the features, look out of the eyes, or speak through the face and the manner. In the same way, we can tell the physician, the lawyer, the clerk, the dominant thought, whatever has been uppermost in their minds, whatever their minds have been habitually long concentrated upon, becomes outpictured in the face, manner, and conversation, so that we can read the signs and earmarks. Did you ever realize that it is possible to read in your face and manner the record of your thoughts, that your face is a bulletin board upon which is advertised what has been going on in your mind for years. It was a saying of Swedenborg that a man writes his life in his physique 
and thus the angels discover his autobiography in this structure. There is a picture of your greed, revenge, selfishness, jealousy, a record of your dominant passion which the world can read. You may have supposed that your thoughts were secret, but the fact is that they are all displayed upon your face bulletin. In reality, we can hide nothing for we radiate the truth of ourselves. What we think is written on the countenance. Our faces are covered with the scars, the wounds, which our boomerang thoughts have made, for every vicious thought is a boomerang. If we throw a jealous or envious or revengeful thought to another, it by an inexorable law comes back and wounds the thrower. It is just as possible to establish health on a solid, substantial, permanent basis as it is to establish a business. Right thinking and right living make a right life. The body being a product of the mind must necessarily be like it. If we think truth and harmony, if we carry the beauty thought, the love thought, these principles will be outpictured in the body. A discordant body cannot come from harmonious thinking. It is well known that inflammation or trouble of any kind anywhere in the body is aggravated by concentrating the mind upon it or worrying about it. The only way to attain perfect health is to grow into the complete realization of more health, greater vigor. We cannot be physically vigorous until we hold the vigorous thought. Many people make robust health impossible by holding the sickly thought, the thought of their weakness, the picture of diseased tissues somewhere in the body, and of course their general health corresponds with this diseased model, for the thought furnishes the pattern which is reproduced in the body. Always try to realize that truth, health, and harmony are not something far away from you, but are always with you, in you. Realizing their presence as an actual present fact will help you wonderfully. A healthy body is composed of healthy thought, externalized, outpictured, and too it follows the ideals, and as long as one holds the youthful, vigorous, progressive, energetic, creative ideal in his mind, his body responds to the thought. Just try the experiment of thinking of yourself as an absolutely perfect being, possessing superb health, a magnificent body, a vigorous constitution, a sublime mind, and capable of standing any amount of strain. Never allow yourself to have a defective, crippled, dwarfed ideal of yourself. Never entertain such an imperfect health model for an instant, for these mental patterns of yourself will gradually begin to be reproduced in your physical condition. Your ideal, your conviction of your health, is the pattern which the life processes are constantly weaving into your body. Our ideas, ideals, thoughts, emotions, moods, our mental attitudes send a constant succession of vibrations through every cell, every organ, and through all the functions of the body. There is a perpetual succession of these impulses through the entire mass of the millions of cells. If we scratch with a nail or some other hard substance on the end of a long piece of timber, the sound waves are transferred through the entire length. Every cell in the huge timber feels the vibration and passes it on. So, every thought, emotion, every sense of fear, worry, jealousy, hatred that enters the mind instantly makes itself felt through every cell in the body and affects it according to its own nature. A happy, joyous, uplifting thought 
or emotion sends its message of life and healing like lightning to the remotest cells in the body. On the other hand, every discordant emotion, every thought of hatred, jealousy, or selfishness sends its poisonous contagion through every one of the billions of cells. It is now well established that vicious mental states, violent emotions, and explosive passions make chemical changes in the brain and poison the cell life through the whole body. We are beginning to learn that the cells of the stomach and of all the other organs are but an extended brain, so to speak, and they are very seriously affected by anything which affects the brain. Hence all the bodily functions refuse to do good work when the mind is disturbed, just as the mental faculties refuse to give up their best when they are in discord. It is very unfortunate there is such a deep-seated conviction in the human race that the mind is confined to the brain cells alone. There is every evidence that there is intelligence in cells all through the body. This theory has been corroborated and substantiated by the fact that very large portions of the brain have been removed from an individual without very materially impairing his intelligence. Many interesting experiments have been made to prove this theory. If we slice a bit of tissue, which of course is all cells, from any part of the living body and put it upon a slide of the microscope where there is the least trace of nitroglycerin, the cells quickly instinctively shrink from contact with the powerful chemical drawing themselves back as far as possible from the poisonous substance which they evidently regard as their fatal enemy. On the other hand, if we bring it in contact with some harmless drug such as capsicum, instead of shrinking they rush towards it and give every evidence that they like it. If we put opium in contact with these cells, they vibrate rapidly as though in a fatal tremor and quickly succumb to its influence and become narcotized. We find this power of selection even in the lowest forms of animal life, such as the amoeba, the simplest form of one cell structure. Even where there is no brain structure, whatever the cell recognizes its enemies from which it tries to make escape and to seek a hiding place. The whole body is a mass of cells, and this is why the cells in any part of the body, when disarranged or diseased, respond so quickly to mental treatment. It is because there is intelligence in them, because they are a part of the mind themselves, they have a mental quality, and the combined mentality of the brain cells and all the other cells in the body can restore any group of cells in any organ or tissue when they begin to shrink and shrivel as in old age or when they become diseased. Mind is the great healer, the great restorer, because it was the original creator of these cells. It is the mind within and back of the cell structure that responds to mental treatment, restores the lost balance, and heals the disease. Body and mind are one. Untold harm has come to the race through the belief that they are distinct. All the intelligence that is in us is distributed through the cells of the body. These cells are all specialists and all more or less intelligent. And the combined intelligence of all of the cells of the entire body forms the intelligence of the individual. It may be true there is a higher development of intelligence in the brain cells, but there is a wonderful help in regarding your whole body as a brain as being permeated with divine intelligence because every cell is in the closest touch with the divine force which creates, sustains, heals, restores, and renews. 
And when we become conscious that every cell in our body is a divine thing, where all health and harmony and truth and beauty and love reside, we shall then know what it is to taste power. The different organs are especially susceptible to certain kinds of mental influence. Excessive selfishness and envy seriously affect the liver, while the heart, liver, and spleen are strongly influenced by jealousy, especially when chronic. It is well known that violent, long-continued jealousy affects the heart's action most injuriously, as do all sorts of mental discord such as worry, anxiety, fear, anger, especially where they become chronic. One night of mental agony has often caused the well to become invalids. Constant grief, long-standing and bitter jealousy, perpetual care and corroding anxiety tend to develop disease. I know a man who so poisons his system in a few minutes by a hot temper that he does not get over it for days. Jealousy will so poison the system as completely to change the nature of its victim in a very short time. There is nothing which will burn out the life cells and ruin harmony and efficiency quicker than the violent indulgence of the explosive passions. Indigestion or dyspepsia often follow fierce domestic quarrels. Multitudes of people have died from heart trouble induced by uncontrolled passions. Intense hatred, violent fits of anger, and some forms of worry have a very irritating and poisoning influence upon the kidneys and materially aggravate certain forms of kidney disease. Jaundice often follows great mental shocks and violent outbursts of hot temper. People are frequently made bilious by despondency, fear, and worry, which in fact are deadly enemies of kidneys and the skin and seriously prevent the elimination of poisons. These structural changes in the different organs are due to chemical changes in the development through mental influence of poisonous substances in the tissues. Whenever there is any disturbance in the mind from any cause, there is starvation in the tissues of the body because perfect nourishment for the functions is impossible when discord is present anywhere. The digestive organs, the liver and stomach, for instance, are so dependent upon harmony that when there is the slightest mental disturbance, they cannot act normally and digestion is interfered with. It does not follow because you eat a great deal that you are properly nourished. It often happens that owing to the impairment of the efficiency of the digestive fluids or through mental poisoning from mental discord, many of the tissues, even when there is plenty of food, in the digestive organs suffer seriously from starvation. During fits of anger and jealousy, acute worry, or when one is suffering from fear, the gastric juices, for example, are very deficient in digestive essentials, become much diluted, and hence can only partially digest food. They are entirely lacking in some of the ingredients which are absolutely necessary to perfect digestion and assimilation. While it is true that chemical changes in the system which generate poison are often caused by overeating, irregular eating, and eating incompatible things which should never be taken into the stomach at the same time, yet many can be traced to mental causes and are often chronic from the continued presence of such poison as in the case of a habitual worrier. In the first place, when gastric juice is secreted under unfavorable conditions, during mental depression, when the person is suffering from fear, worry, jealousy, revenge, anger, or hatred, it is of a very inferior quality. There is something lacking 
It is not a perfect digestive fluid. The chemical proportions are not normal, and in fact, there is often actual poison present. Some people so poison themselves mentally during their meals, they cannot digest their food. It is a dangerous thing to quarrel and to be angry and hateful at any time, but especially so during meals. Whatever you do, do not take your troubles to the table with you, for there is nothing which will ruin digestion quicker than a troubled, worried mind. However uncomfortable, unhappy, worried, or troubled you may be at other times of the day, it is absolutely imperative to keep as happy and as harmonious as possible during meals and the digestive hours, otherwise the gastric fluids will seriously lack the essential digestive element. People who carry their crotchets and worries to the table and who bring their surly, ugly moods to their meals poison everything they eat. This is one reason why chronic worriers, people who are constant sufferers from fear and anxiety and the effects of their explosive passions are often semi-invalids, chronic worriers are never good digesters. It is worth your while to make a determined effort to form the habit of good cheer during meals and before going to sleep because it will have a powerful influence upon your health. We all know how quickly our digestion is affected by our moods, our mental processes, our mental attitude. A sudden shock caused by a telegram or letter containing bad news will often completely arrest the entire digestive process, which will not be resumed until the mind is again in comparative harmony. If we could examine the stomach after a severe mental shock from bad news, we should find the natural flow of digestive fluids from the digestive follicles suspended. The follicles would be parched and feverish and for the time absolutely deprived of their digestive power. So closely is the digestive apparatus connected with the brain that an accident of any kind or great fear will instantly stop all of its processes, just as though they had received an imperative command to cease working. Discordant thought, fits of anger, jealousy, despondency, unpleasant sensations of every kind seriously affect the digestion. The finding of disgusting things mingled with our food will often so affect our stomachs that we cannot eat anything for some time afterwards. Our sensation of hunger departs instantly and the very thought of food nauseates us. Just think of the tremendous power thought must have to cause the instantaneous revulsion and complete cessation of all the digestive processes. Since physicians the world over now admit that dyspepsia, like many other ills, is a mental disease, it is clear that if you persist in holding the cheerful, harmonious, healthful thought instead of the despondent, inharmonious, unhealthful thought, which upsets and demoralizes digestion, you will be able to overcome it as well as many other physical ills that result from a wrong thought. The digestive processes follow the mental processes and coincide with them. If we persistently, habitually hold joy thoughts, contentment thoughts, goodwill thoughts, which are always working in us for health, and which provide harmony, serenity, and poise, we tend to establish mental health, and when this is done, the body will fall into line. On the other hand, discordant and harmonious thoughts will manifest themselves in various forms in the body. Now, rheumatism, now dyspepsia, headache, or some other form of ill health. The circulation of the blood is also very seriously affected by all thoughts which depress and discourage. Many people, after prolonged fits of anger or acute attacks of jealousy and fear, have colds, indigestion, bilious attacks, sick or nervous headaches. 
Some have perpetual severe headaches which are due to mental poisoning from violent fits of anger and the resultant general shock to the mental system and also to impairment of nerve nutrition. Many suffer from perpetual selfishness poisoning. Poisons are generated in the brain cells by the chemical changes of the various thoughts, emotions and explosive passions, no physical force being brought into play. When a black, discouraged thought wave sweeps through the system, there comes with it a sense of depression, almost terror. A single fit of hot temper may sometimes burn out the nerve centers just as a short circuit will burn out the electric wires. It is pitiful to see the wreckage of hopes, happiness, and ambition in a life after hurricanes of passion have swept through the mental kingdom. Why do we learn so quickly that on the physical plane hot things burn us, sharp tools cut us, bruises make us suffer and endeavor to avoid the things which give pain and to use and enjoy the things that give pleasure and comfort while in the mental realm we are constantly burning ourselves, gashing ourselves, poisoning our brain, our blood, our secretions with deadly destructive thoughts, moods and emotions. Now we suffer from these thought lacerations, these mental bruises, these burnings of passion, and yet we do not learn to exclude the causes of all this suffering. We are much more susceptible to disease when suffering from any sort of mental discord, discouragement, or the blues because of the cell damage due to the presence of chemical changes. The impairment of nutrition, imperfect digestion, and mental self-poisoning. When discordant from worry, anxiety, anger, revenge, or jealousy, you may know that these things drain away your energy, waste your vitality at a fearful rate, and not only do no good, but also grind away the delicate mental machinery, inducing premature age and shortening the life. Worry thoughts, fear thoughts, selfish thoughts are so many malignant forces within us, destroying harmony and ruining efficiency while the opposite thoughts produce just the opposite result. They soothe instead of irritate and increase efficiency, multiply mental power. Five minutes of hot temper may work such a havoc in the delicate cell life of the nervous system that it will take weeks or months to repair the injury, or it may never be repaired. Many people keep themselves in a state of chronic self-poisoning by their embittered, revengeful, hatred, jealous thoughts, selfishness, or by their violent tempers and fits of raging passion. These self-poisoners not only destroy their present happiness and success, but also many years of their lives. When we fully realize that these emotions in all forms of animal passion are debilitating, demoralizing, and they make fearful havoc in the mental realm, and that their hideousness is outpictured in the body in pain and suffering, in corresponding ugliness and deformities, we shall learn to avoid them as we would avoid physical pestilence. There are authentic cases in our medical records of chronic invalids who have been completely cured by some sudden good news or of relatives or friends whom they mourned as dead and who were found to be alive or of some fortune which was suddenly and unexpectedly left for them while they were very poor. These changes were produced by changing the thought. It is well known that men are often severely wounded in battle by shot or shell, yet during the excitement they are totally unconscious of pain or of any serious injury to themselves until perhaps they discover their blood-soaked clothing or someone tells them they are shot. Then, as soon as the excitement abates, the very consciousness of their condition, with the power of the imagination to exaggerate, causes them to collapse. But while the mind was intensely occupied, they did not feel the bullet or the piece of shell. 
We have all felt severe pain entirely cease during moments of great joy when some unexpected good luck comes to us. The mind, for the time at least, was able to dominate the body and conquer pain. I have known hunters, completely exhausted by a day's tramp, perhaps in rain or snow without any results and scarcely able to put one foot ahead of the other, who became instantly so transformed at the sight of the long-looked-for deer or moose that they forgot their hunger, their fatigue, and were as lively as boys. The change of mental attitude enabled them to tramp again for hours without rest and yet without fatigue. Whatever improves the health of the mind improves the health of the body. The uplifting, inspiring, cheerful, and optimistic thought is not only a great mental tonic, but a physical tonic also. How can your body have resisting power to ward off diseases when you are all the time acknowledging its weakness and inferiority? How can you accept harmony in your physical kingdom when you are constantly reflecting mental discord? Never allow yourself to be convinced that you are not a complete master of yourself. Stoutly affirm your own superiority over bodily ills and do not acknowledge yourself the slave of an inferior power. Nothing else will hasten the development of a disease so quickly as that attitude of mind which tends to lower the vitality by constantly looking for the thing we dread, always expecting and watching for every symptom which heralds it because we are powerfully affected by the imagination which builds all sorts of hideous predictions and forebodings out of the things we fear and dread. This perpetual expectancy of something which is going to make us suffer and finally kill us has a terrible, depressing influence because it cuts off hope and expectancy, the very things we live upon. It dries up the very source of life and vitality and causes the victim to fall rapidly. Think of the influence upon a sensitive nature of carrying for years the conviction that he has inherited a terrible malady, that he has lurking in his system an incipient disease that will ultimately kill him. All of his secretions are very materially influenced and the quality of the blood is deteriorated by such a conviction, for it is well known that worry, anxiety, fear kill millions and millions of red blood corpuscles every day. When a physician is tactless enough to tell his patient of his critical condition, there is an immediate sinking, often a fatal collapse. So rapidly do the red blood globules die under a fatal dread and apprehension. There is no doubt that thousands of patients have been killed by the brutal plainness of physicians when under cheerful, hopeful encouragement they might have recovered. Hope and cheer are infinitely better tonics than any drugs. In fact, there is little danger as long as the courage and cheerfulness of the patient can be maintained, for the reactive influence upon all the functions of the body is very powerful. Every physician knows what a tremendous healing, restorative force comes to a patient who has been in great danger when he is assured by a physician in whom he has great confidence that he is going to get well. The mere expectancy of relief from suffering through some noted specialist or remedy in which he has great faith often materially affects the chemistry of the patient's body and all its physical processes, arouses the healing potencies, creative energies within him, and completely changes him. In fact, his whole outlook upon life is often changed by this newborn hope, this uplifting expectancy, which the long-looked-for precious remedy or celebrated physician brings and the patient begins to feel better even before the prescription has been filled. There's often a very marked improvement in the patient immediately after taking the medicine 
in which he implicitly believes even before it could possibly have been absorbed and assimilated in the system, showing conclusively that the expectancy, the faith, alone did the work. It is expectancy, implicit faith, complete change of attitude that heals disease, changes habit and character, expectancy of relief and unquestioned faith in the remedy or the physician are much more healing potencies than either the remedy or the physician. Faith in the physician and the reputation of the remedy, faith in the change of climate play a tremendous part in the healing restorative processes. Faith has ever been the great miracle worker of the ages. It has endowed a spoonful of water, a bread pill, a black ring, a horse chestnut carried in the pocket with marvelous healing powers. Think of the tremendous curative force in the faith of the people who make pilgrimages of thousands of miles on foot to some shrine, often barefooted and lacerating themselves because of their belief in the beneficence of it to heal. Think of the power to heal of the blind superstitious faith of those who sacrifice property, sometimes children almost life itself, to get what they regard as the miraculous power of some sacred healing water as of the Jordan or some of the sacred eastern rivers like the Ganges. Those poor deluded people do not realize that there is no power whatever in these inanimate objects to give them health, but that they take the healing power with them in their faith and might just as well exercise it upon themselves at home. Inventors who for years battled with poverty and poor health and the opposition of those who did not understand them have completely recovered their health by a sudden discovery of the great secret for which they had so long been struggling. The success of an idea, the sudden achievement which comes after many years of struggling with poverty and discouragement completely changes their whole physical condition. Success itself, especially after great disappointment, failure, and poverty, is a tremendous tonic, changing the chemical composition of the secretions and affecting all the functions of the body. I have known whole families where discouragement, failure, and sickness had followed them for years to be transformed by sudden unexpected success coming to them. The reverse of this is also true. Unexpected failure, sudden reverses which sweep away fortunes, great sorrows which dishearten and discourage have often been known to depress and entirely destroy health and happiness. The physical is merely the outpicturing, the expression of the mental condition. The condition of our health is our objectified thought. It will not be long before mental medicine will be recognized as a real science infinitely more scientific than the present medical system. For ages, man has searched the earth for mineral and vegetable remedies which would cure his ills, when all the time without knowing it, he has had stored in his own brain in the depths of his being the sovereign panacea for all his aches and pains, a divine harmony which could antidote all his discords. The coming physician will teach his patient that life does not depend upon chance or cruel fate, but there is one steady, persistent, beneficent purpose leavening and running through all creation, and that this purpose is ever moving upward and onward in one eternal progression. For years, there has been a gradual, persistent, and progressive falling off in the use of drugs, medicine, and many other old-time remedies. Statistics show that in the one of the largest cities, the prescription business fell off 50% within a very few years. People are not drugging themselves as formerly. A magazine writer estimates there are more than 15 million people who do not believe in medicines and who resort to drugless healing. Ten years hence, judging from the rate of increase during the last few years, there will be 50 million. 
Dr. E.S. Jones of Boston University says in the American Journal of Clinical Medicine that unless they adopt the new treatment, the doctors will be out of business in 20 years' time. The tremendous reaction from the old-time medical methods is already beginning to be reflected in many of the best medical schools in this country where instruction is being given by eminent lecturers in mental therapeutics. The European medical schools are also giving lectures and instructions upon mental medicine. In fact, some of the very medical journals which have shown such bitter hostility to the drugless treatment are now seriously debating its adoption. Many regular physicians are gradually recognizing mental healing and employing it. A noted nerve specialist now instructs his patient to thoroughly relax his muscles and nerves at certain periods each day and imagine a vigorous life current flowing through his entire system. There is more and more tendency to use the mind cure in a strictly scientific sense. We are recognizing that it is not the drugs but the power which created us which heals our wounds and hurts, restores us and heals our physical discord. The more intelligent physicians are beginning to see that the healing of the body is brought about by connecting the patient with the great life storage batteries, with the very source of life, the life principle itself. The future physician will be a man trained to help the sufferer find his God, his good, then he will need no other remedy. Love is the normal law of our being and any departure from the love thought must result in anarchy of the physical economy because the law of our being has been violated. All men can rid themselves of their pernicious thought enemies, enemies of the mind and body, if they will take the trouble to do so. It is not difficult to shut out poisonous thoughts from the mind. All one need to do is substitute the opposite thought to that which produces the fatal poison, for it will furnish the antidote. Discord cannot exist in the presence of harmony. The charitable thought, the love thought, will very quickly kill the jealousy, the hate, and the revenge thought, if we force pleasant, cheerful pictures into the mind, the gloomy blue thoughts will have to get out. When we shall have learned to shut out all the enemies of our health, of our digestion, of our assimilation, the enemies which poison our blood and other secretions, when we shall have learned how to keep the imagination clean, the thought pure, the ideals bright, when we shall have learned the tremendous power of a great life purpose to systematize and purify the life, then we shall know how to live. When we shall have learned to antidote the hate thought, the jealousy thought, the envy, the revenge thought, with the love, the charity thought, when we shall have grasped the secret of antidoting all discordant thoughts with the harmony thought, when we shall have learned the mighty life-giving power in the holding of the right mental attitude and the awful tragedy and suffering which come from holding the wrong mental attitude, then will civilization go forward by leaps and bounds. Now the focus of this particular chapter is very much on the body and physical health, but it can also be applied to other things. But the thing that you should take from this, especially in our current fourth density environment, is that if you get angry for just like five minutes, it can be so disruptive and poisonous to your body and your reality. It's true. I've recently encountered this. I recently had something that came up, made me super angry, vocally angry for about 45 minutes. And I have felt the effects of it for months. It affected my heart, my blood pressure. It affected my throat and a variety of other things. I even had things coming up later on that 
were obviously affected. I have been shifted into this timeline because of this little brief burst of anger that came within me. But what do we do? A lot of times we're just reacting and it's instinctive. It comes up without control. Many people I talk to suffer from having jealousy, hate, and anger thoughts come up and they simply don't know how to stop them because the emotions come like a wave and they just ride the wave and they've done it for so long. It's very hard to control. The thing to remember is that those thoughts are even more destructive now. We can create our realities faster in our current environment, but we can also get sicker and create terrible realities faster as well. So it's really important that we focus in on fear thoughts, anger thoughts, hate thoughts, envy and jealousy thoughts, and nip them in the bud. Try to think of the opposite thought. If you have a fear thought, then try to think of something that is safe and secure. Feel a feeling of security. Focus in on the thought, even if it's not necessarily true. Going by the exercise of replacing that thought with another thought. If it's complicated and you don't know what the opposite thought would be, just think of God or think of love. In any case, if you're thinking of love, usually it's the opposite of whatever that discordant thought might be that you're experiencing. But I have experienced bouts of worry and fear for like five or 10 minutes. And I've felt it for weeks afterwards now. You may not be aware of it. You may be riding the wave of one single negative incident that you had that lasted five or 10 minutes and you don't even remember it. It seemed so insignificant at the time, but you must be highly sensitive to deep emotional responses that come from within you because they affect every single cell in your body. They change the way your body works. They change the way your cells reproduce and work and function in your organs, in your body. And the antidote is the opposite thought and becoming aware of this on a regular basis will create an amazing level of health in your body. We can reverse it. I'm still learning. I know that all of you are still learning. We're stuck in a very thick, dense, third density environment that evokes these sort of emotions just by turning on your television. The worry and fear that we see when we watch television or TV or politics or even movies can be destructive. And so we have to gain control of this and that's easier said than done. It's an ongoing process. All this does is make you aware of it. You can be killed by a single 10 minute angry burst. Not always, but sometimes you can. It can create a cascade of events that happen in your body that can lead to cancers and heart attacks all from a single moment. That's the thing that you need to know and learn. And a lot of times it's forgiveness. You're holding these angry thoughts because you haven't forgiven somebody. So forgive, love, and think in harmonious thoughts. Think in thoughts that are the opposite. And I think just the process of thinking in the duality of thoughts, when you have a fear thought come up, be very specific. It doesn't have to be general. If you have a specific fear thought, maybe it's about some people breaking into your home then you need to find the opposite thought of that, thinking about how safe your home is or secure it is. It doesn't have to be the generic emotion. It can be very specific. And the more you start to think of the duality of these thoughts, 
It's an even greater level of enlightenment later on if you just get into the habit of thinking of the duality of your thoughts, particularly your negative thoughts that drag you down. Continually try to think of the opposite thought. And when you do that, you will find the antidote to the mental poisons in your life. So please let me know. Share your ideas of how you replace thoughts, of your antidotes for mental poisoning. What do you do? I'm going to be reading through the comments so that I can get some ideas from you. Please teach me on what you do to replace negative thoughts, negative emotions that come up so that you can remain healthy because I want you to live for a long time. I want you to be joyous and happy. I'm sending all the light and love to everyone that's listening. You can find all episodes of The Reality Revolution at therealityrevolution.com. And welcome to The Reality Revolution.